Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Kevin Romney. In 1989, Kevin founded the Romney Group, which owned and developed commercial property and managed retail, office, and medical projects. In 2019, Kevin founded the Camino Verde Group, which acquires value-add properties and manages the repositioning and asset management. They develop properties from the ground up, including the build-out of co-living properties in Southern California and the development of a community in Utah. So thank you so much for being on the show, Kevin. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Charles. So you have a, uh, a very interesting past, and I'd love to uh, kind of learn what your background was, both pr professionally, personally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Sure. Be glad to share that with you. Um, my, uh, I got a degree in accounting. Uh, went to work for one of the big eight CPA firms. That kind of dates me now. It's the big four. Uh, but uh, learned quickly that people didn't, you know, the, they didn't really like to see the auditor coming. He's just there to catch their mistakes. And uh, so left uh, after about two years, uh, decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. So I've I've built uh, several different businesses, uh, call center business, um, franchise business, vending business. Uh, most recently, I was in the renewable energy space. And I'd run that company for about four and a half years. And I was ready to make a switch. And I, I met with one of my good friends, um, Mike Ballard, who's my business partner. And uh, he and I uh, had originally met in college, but we reconnected when my son asked his daughter to prom. And uh, so uh, anyway, we uh, I had breakfast with him one morning. I said, Mike, I'm thinking about selling um, you know, what am I going to do uh, next if I sell, sell this company? And uh, he's a partner in a company that does the, the back office accounting for about 55,000 uh, multifamily units across wow. the country. And he said, you know, and he had done some real estate, I'd done some real estate, but we'd never done multifamily together. So uh, he said, uh, you know, why don't we get, why don't, why don't we uh, form a partnership and get into the, the multifamily business? So I did my due diligence and Got back to Mike and I said, uh, yeah, uh, I'm in. Let's do it. And that was uh, February of 2019. So we're coming on uh, just about four years here that we've had uh, uh, that we've uh, built the Camino Verde Group. So when you were doing your due diligence on getting back into real estate, what were what were some of the points uh, factors that really weighed important to you in making the decision? 
So a lot of the data that we that I reviewed and looked at showed that multifamily was one of the top sectors in the real estate industry for returns, number one. Number two uh, is for stability. Uh, you know, folks that have been in, in, in retail, for example, are going through the the uh, online issues and people are, are shopping online as, a, as opposed to brick and mortar, although it's beginning to come back now at this point. But, you know, uh, residential, you always have to have a roof over your head. Um, and so, you know, we just felt that that was, uh, it's probably the most, in, in my opinion, the, the most secure sector of the real estate industry is, is to be in residential and multifamily is just, you, know, you can, you can go buy a bunch of single family homes, uh, and, and acquire quite the portfolio, or you can do it 30, 40, 50, or 200 or 300 units at a time through multifamily. And that just seemed to be, uh, the better route to go, uh, for us. Uh, plus, that was uh, the area that my partner had uh, had some expertise in. So that's the direction that we went. Yeah, I imagine so with uh, doing all the back uh, office accounting for all those units, I imagine those were all larger complexes. Uh -huh. Exactly. So, Kevin, what was your, when you guys uh, started uh, like it, investing, what was your first property? Um, what was your first investment that you guys did? And, uh, you know, what did you do with that? What happened? Do you still own it today? Great question. So our first property was uh, uh, Sherwood Apartments um, here in Las Vegas, 36 mm -hmm. units. Uh, we, we found that on, on market uh, through a broker. Uh, we purchased it. It was, it was in pretty good shape. The, the units had, had, uh, had, had, had been refurbished and remodeled. So there wasn't a heavy lift as far as remodel goes. But we, you know, we did did a facelift, put some paint on it, did some uh, redid the courtyard, and then did some some minor touch-ups in the properties, and it's been a great property for us. Um, we currently still own that property. Uh, we we have tinkered with the possibility of selling it. Um, we actually had it under contract for a time, but with uh, you know with the increase in the interest rates from the Fed, uh, you know the mar the the credit markets have been choppy and. And uh, but anyway, it's a great stabilized asset that's got a great interest rate on it, especially with today's rates. And um, you know, we we still we still own that and and manage it, and uh, it's been a great asset for us and for our investors as well. So, Kevin, you're being based in Las Vegas. Uh, you've been at this prior to COVID, and I I really haven't spoken to an operator. Uh, that went through COVID in Las Vegas. And as I read online during that time, Nevada had was about almost 30, 33% unemployment rate at that point, where a lot of the places where we are in the Southeast were 12 or 13. How did you guys fare with having that hit you guys uh, immediately in the beginning of 2020? You know, great questions, Charles. Um, you know, we, we at the time that, uh, that uh, COVID hit, we closed on a property uh, just at the height of everything shutting down. And I have wow. to tell you, we were very nervous as to whether or not we should even continue. Uh, we thought maybe we should just walk away from this deal. We went ahead and closed on it and did the deal. Uh, that property has also turned out to be a super property for us. But I'll tell you a story. We did have, uh, so at the time of COVID, we had uh, three properties here in Las Vegas. And... Um, one of our properties, one of our major investors was just very concerned. He thought, you know, everything was going to fall apart and he wanted to sell. So we were able to put that up, sell it. We, we made our investors good money on that one. Um, but the other two, we continued to go and, and run through, through the pandemic. And to be honest, yes, we had 30% unemployment, but we had people moving in left and right from 
from uh, from California uh, and other places that wanted to to, to take advantage of the of the great uh, uh, um, you know benefits that we have uh, being here in Las Vegas. And so rents grew. I mean, we saw you know twenty five percent increase in rents. Uh, we certainly had some challenges with delinquencies. Our properties are Class C workforce housing, mm -hmm. uh, but the government chaps the chaps money and the pandemic money was able to assist many of those people. We did have some people that took advantage of the of the mm -hmm. situation and they sat there. We 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 had at least one person who didn't pay rent for a full year. And it wasn't until after the pandemic was over that we were finally able to, to get them out of the property. But anybody that would talk to us, anybody that would work with us, we were very flexible with being able to come up with a, a payment program or uh, working with them to help get government funding. And really it, 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 it didn't affect us terribly. Uh, the properties fared very well. As I said, rents increased. And we were able to help most people find help. And so we didn't even, we didn't even really, uh, of course, they had eviction moratoriums, so we couldn't, mm -hmm. couldn't evict folks. But even after we came out of the pandemic, uh, most of the folks continued to live with us and stay with mm -hmm. us uh, because we'd worked with them and worked through those issues and problems. Yeah, the problems when I self-managed properties for years, it was um, when you don't have the contact, the communication, that's when you get right. nervous. Right. That's when you know exactly. there's an issue. It's one thing if they come to you and let's, I got this issue and then everything's being poured out and you're like, okay, now we can make a deal. We'll find something. We'll find something that works. Right. It's the thing is like, when you're like, we have no idea if person's ever in this apartment anymore. We have no idea. You know, am I paying for electric? Or are they paying for electric? What's going on over here? So I know how That's that goes. Exactly right. Anybody that would talk to us, work with us, answer their door. You know, we, we worked with them and, and helped uh, work through the issue, but some people just said, we're not going to, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't very many, probably only one or two yeah. that just ignored us. And like you said, we didn't even know if they still lived there or not Yeah, because they, yeah. they wouldn't answer the door. They wouldn't answer a phone. They wouldn't answer a text, but, but they were there and we're just kind of hiding out and taking advantage of the situation. But yeah. again, that was a very small, small portion. Most people were, were anxious to, to work with us and we were anxious to work with them. And, and it turned out being uh being not near as bad as anybody had anticipated it was going to be. Well, good. So most real estate investors prefer off-market deals, and I know you guys do as well. And you know, what do you consider to be some of the major advantages of doing off-market deals? So we probably about sixty percent of the deals that we purchase, and we've you know we've been in business almost four years now. We've got fifteen different projects we've been been uh, purchased or working on. So about every quarter we do a deal, and. Um, we prefer about 60% of those have been off market and, and we, we, we prefer off market for a couple of reasons. Number one is there's a whole lot less competition. Um, you know, when you're, 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 you're bidding with a lot of other people and you get to best and final and, you know, it's just when you're bidding against 10 other people, you know, the price can, can accelerate uh, and, and your chances of being able to get a deal done, go, go down dramatically. So that's that's item number one uh, of why we 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 like to do off market deals. Uh, another reason is that there the timeline is is frequently a little bit the pace is a little bit slower. Uh, it's not uh, so you know the timeline is not accelerated. So we can take our time a little bit more with due diligence. We can take our time a little bit more with negotiating, uh, and so it just just generally all around it, it's it's just a much better process. Uh, if we can find a, a, a property that's off market. Yeah. 
when I when people I think hear uh, the words off market, I believe they think that a buyer like you is cold calling different property owners. But obviously, with larger complexes, that's not usually the case. I mean, what were some of the sources that you have utilized to find some of these off market deals that you successfully purchased? You know, that's that's a great question. So. Uh, the way that we've found them is, you know, a couple of different ways. We've gotten leads from insurance agents, um, attorneys, CPAs can give give you great leads. Um, I'll tell you a fun story. Um, again, I mentioned my partner and his his uh, you know uh, work with uh, with doing the back office accounting. Um, a lot of his clients are uh, property managers. Uh, many of them are properties, uh, you know, people who've, who've broken off from the bigger companies that are starting their own property management company. And he had a gal that was in the uh, Nashville area who, who broke away from her company. And she said, Mike, I want to manage a property for you. And he said, well, okay, go find one. And uh, she was able to find an off-market deal for us that we were able to secure. Actually, we were able to do seller finance on that property as well. And um, about 260 units, and it's just been been a phenomenal property. So that was one source of being able to find an off market deal was through property management company. But the majority of our pro of, of our off market deals come from brokers. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, you, if you develop those relationships with those brokers, we we closed that first deal that I mentioned, and once that broker knew we could get a deal done, uh, we we became one of his preferred. Um, buyers. And so anytime he'd get something that would come in that was off market or sometimes even pre-putting it, uh, you know, before putting it on the market, he'd let us take a look at those. And, and we've been able to buy, I think, probably four uh, or five additional properties through him uh, that were off market. So brokers has been the main things, but property management companies, insurance companies, CPAs, attorneys, all of those can be great sources for, for off market properties. So with um with some of these off market deals, I imagine you've you've gotten or you've spoken to these owners previously about owner financing. Have you how have you created deals, if any, with owner financing? And how's that process go if you had like through a broker? Because now you're not direct to the owner, let's say. So if we if we work through a broker, um, you know, it it if it's so let, let me let me cover a couple of things about owner finance uh, first of all. So we never come out with that being our first option. Yeah. Um, you know, sellers are not really excited about doing <laughs> a, a, a seller finance. So we never come out with that to begin with. But as 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 facts come available, and as we get down the road in the negotiation process, and we learn certain things, uh, we can then say, okay, you know, this might be a candidate for for owner finance. For example, the deal that we did out, out in the uh, Nashville uh, area, it's actually in Kentucky, just over the, the, uh, the border. Hmm. Um, this particular property was managed, uh, the, the individual had bought it, had paid cash for it. So that's an important thing if you're going to do a, a seller finance. The, the generally, they need to own it free and clear. Uh, that's not always the case, but generally, they need to own it free and clear. So he had paid cash for this. He had just finished remodeling. He had bought it um for about 40,000 a unit he wanted to sell it to us for 60,000 a unit but he had his family managing it and because his family was managing it it wasn't a professional management company he wasn't using a professional uh, uh, accounting software he didn't have really good financials that he could take out to a broker and and list this property with a broker so he had a problem 
he couldn't really go out and, and list this as, as a normal owner would. And so because of that, we said, well, hey, listen, we, we and also if you, if you don't have great financials, you, you can't get funding, you can't get the bank to loan any money on it. So, you know, the option is, you know, e either owner finance or, or run it for another six to 12 months the right way and get the proper data on it. We, we purchased a nine unit, a small motel out in Pahrump, Nevada. We had a specific use for it that we were going to, uh, we were able to repurpose it and, and use it for, uh, for residential. Um, but this, this, that property was, was, it had been on the market for a while. There weren't a lot of uses for it. It had sat, um, you know, the owners owned it free and clear. And so as we began to find this out in a, in the negotiation stages, we were able to say, Hey, uh, you know, are you willing to carry the note? Um, and you know, that's, that's generally how we, uh, and the brokers will generally let you deal directly with. Uh, the owner when you're when you're negotiating that or you just you know do your offers and send it to the broker and broker yeah. give the owner and you just go back and forth several different times in in uh, turns on the on the LOI and and that's how we've been able to do it it's been mm -hmm. been a great it's been very successful for us yeah that's good it's great information about not coming out of the gates with owner financing I think a lot of new investors will do that that only want to do owner financing deals and it's like, well, you know, you build rapport and then you talk to them about it. Well, you know, what are you going to, what are you doing next? And kind of feeling them out a little bit, I think is a lot more of a effective method of getting to the end goal of owner financing potentially. Absolutely. You know, we have a 240 acre master plan community up in Ephraim, Utah that we've, uh, that we've been, been working on and we've accumulated a, a lot of land and a lot of it has been farmland and you know, a lot of those deals that we've done, we've probably purchased from 10 to 12 different owners to be able to accumulate that land. Many of them were farmers. And as we began the, the negotiations and the talks, uh, you know, the question was, you know, if you got a large sum, if you sold all this money and got a large sum of money in the door, how's that going to affect your taxes? Hmm. Um, you know, if, if we were to pay this over time, and you could recognize that revenue over time, would that be a better better situation for you uh, with your taxes as opposed to having a big chunk of change come in? You, you, you know, and, and they don't want to do a 1031 exchange. This is property that's been in the family for sometimes two generations, maybe even three generations. And, you know, they're, they're ready to, 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 to liquidate uh, the land and, and use the, the, the funds for other things. And so you just you just ask a lot of questions, and you know, for most of them, it you know it was going to be a big tax issue if they got a big lump sum. So they were willing to to let us stretch it over time and and pay them over time. So that was uh, and that was great for us because um, you know we had to come up with less uh, investor dollars to be able to to take down that large amount of land. That's great. That's an awesome use of owner financing. So with with going into developments, um, you know, your firm purchases a lot of value add properties while also developing properties. And I think I saw it was about half your properties in your portfolio of comprised of development deals. So it's definitely something that you're very strong into. Is your company focusing more on developing projects now versus acquiring projects? Uh, and why so if that is? You know, great question. We're probably about 40% acquisition, about 60% development. Um, for a time there, prices per door were getting so high that we could we could build um, 
you know, for example, there was about a 500 unit property that sold not far from my home in, in uh, Henderson, Nevada. And it went for, and it was a 1990s product and it sold for $297,000 a door. Wow. And my goodness, we can, we can build this product brand new for, for, for less than that. And so that's when we began to take the, the, the shift towards uh, development. So my partner handles more of the development side. I handle more of the value add side. Uh, but I will say that development development is a lot more difficult and there's a lot more risk uh, with development than there is with value add. If you're buying a value add, you're buying a cash flowing property and you know there's less risk. If you're buying, if you're doing a development, you're buying land, you've got to get it entitled. Uh, you've, uh, you know, then you've got to get your debt and, and all your other things and, 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 and equity put together. And so the risk is higher. So the returns have to be higher for the investors as well. Um, and there's a lot longer lead time. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it may be 36 months or even longer before you get that property built, get it stabilized, and you and your investors have any cash flow and any, any, any funds for, coming from it. So you've got to have capital to be able to do all the architectural and, and get the entitlements done. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a lot longer road. It's hard road. It's uh, there's more risk involved in development, but there can also be be greater rewards. So we kind of do both uh, here uh, at Camino Verde Group, uh, value add and development both. When you are let's say like underwriting between development and um, acquiring a property, do you what kind of let's just say basic um, you know uh, back a napkin? What kind of return premium do you want to see? on that development deal versus a value add deal where it's probably cash flowing day one when you buy it. Right. Great question, Charles. So we don't generally present anything to our investors unless we project a 15% IRR on value add. Mm -hmm. So if it's a value add, we want we want to be able to, in our underwriting, project a 15% IRR to our investors before we present it to them. On, a, on the development side, that's that's more, uh, it, it needs to be above 20% before we present that to our investors. Uh, and we prefer to be in the mid-20s as opposed to the low-20s. Now, not every deal we do you know, hits the, the mid-20s, but it, if we're going to do a development deal, it's got to be able to project a 20% IRR to investors or we aren't going to move forward with it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I've just seen some development deals that get close to that 20 or even in the high teens. And it just looks like they're really stretching for a deal. And it's not something for the risk you're taking. You want more of a return on that. You know what exactly. I mean? So, yeah. Investors deserve uh, a greater return because there's a greater risk on it. Yeah. So Kevin, what are some common mistakes you see real estate investors make over decades of being involved with this? So, um, you know, mistakes that I see is yeah, I think people can sometimes move too rapidly, make decisions too quickly, fail to do thorough uh, due diligence. Uh, I also see, you know, sometimes folks being not being conservative in their underwriting, you know, especially, you know, we've, we've got these huge rent uh, um, rent increases that we've experienced over the last two or three years. And, and some people are underwriting to that those, you know, increases are still going to continue at at, uh, at at higher rates, we tend to be more conservative. Uh, we know that those uh, rent rates aren't going to increase uh, that quickly uh, in the future as they had in the past. So we tend to be a little bit more conservative with uh, with our rent increases. So those would be the, the mistakes I'd see is 
you know, not not doing complete due diligence and, and not being as conservative as they ought to in their underwriting. Yeah, yeah. Have people underwriting what they did two years ago, they're still using those rent increases in today's numbers is something you see a lot, or they're not doing the increases in insurance, for example, expenses right. Right. Yeah. that you know that, uh, hey, that's going to be going up much higher than you're expecting. Absolutely. Uh, insurance has gone up dramatically. It's all parts of the country. I mean, I'm down here in Florida, but I mean, I've seen properties double digits in other parts of the country as well, you know, when the policies come up. So it's just something you have to keep an eye out when you're underwriting. Right. But, so Kevin, I like when I get uh, successful people on the show, I love asking them how their relationship towards money has changed over the years. Because probably where you started out, it's probably a little different than where you are now, right? <laughs> it is. That's a great question. You know, when you're starting a business or when you're starting out in life, you know, cash flow is very important. Um, you know, we've, I've, I've, you know, married and have kids and now grandkids and you know, being able to support and fund and give them the lifestyle that you want is is very important. So, so when you, I think when you're starting out, you know, money and cash is is important to be able to accomplish your goals for you and for your family. But as as you grow and as your balance sheet grows and and your bank account grows, that you know that's always the 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 the, the primary importance is taking care of your family. But as 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 you become more successful at what you do, I think the focus changes to how can I now, how can I now help the community and help others, and so you know I guess my my attitude towards towards uh, money and cash is now it's more how can we use that to to benefit other folks and to and to mm -hmm. do good for other people. Most of the deals that we do, I'd say almost every deal that we do has some sort of social good connected with it. For example, we have one property that's got a, a master lease on it with a, a veterans organization. And, you know, they're great tenants. Um, and we lease it to them for less than market rate, uh, just because, you know, it's, it's, it's got a social good, it's got a cause, you know, we've got these veterans who, 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 you know, dedicated a large portion of their lives to defending us and our freedoms. And, and we want to give back. And so, you know, most of our properties, we, we always want to make sure, look, we want to have a nice, safe place uh, that's affordable, where people feel safe. So, um, you know, I, I think now at this point in my life, it's how, how can we give back? How can we bless others? Uh, you know, where can we, you know, what, what organizations and charities can we help to, to, uh, to, to move society forward and make things better for, for all people? That's great. Uh, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years, Kevin? You know, great question. And I would say uh, two things, great mentors hmm. and hard work. Um, we have had some incredibly good mentors uh, in, in this, uh, in, in, as, since we started this business, uh, a group that we worked with out of Austin, Texas, that helped us uh, acquire um, this property in the Nashville area. Um, and and mentored and were you know he you know one of the gentlemen was on the phone with me every, every week for a couple of months just teaching me about the business and so great mentors has been a wonderful thing um, and and because we had great mentors we try and give back and now we try and mentor other folks as 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 was done for us so mentoring is is incredibly important surrounding yourself with good people and then you just have to work hard and not give up it's a hard business it's a great business it's a great business but there's uh, but it's also a hard business, so you just stay at it. And and if you if you get hit a few bumps in the road, don't give up. Just keep going after it, and uh, persistence and hard work, and it'll pay off. Kevin, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? 
So Charles, they can go to our website, which is www.caminoverdegroup.com. And uh, I would be delighted to get emails from anyone. I'm, my email address is kevin at caminoverdegroup.com. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, looking forward to connecting with you here sometime face-to-face -face in the future. Great. Charles, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks. You too. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.